on. Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Good. It's a busy night. I got two or three things going on at once, and I got to get out the door soon for it to go play hockey myself. So big game for the Oilers, though. They needed a win. Seems like every time they get a win this year, Bruce, it's a big win, and they need the win because there's little um, margin for error when you're battling for a playoff spot, uh, as they are now. But they got it against a very good Buffalo Sabres team. Uh, 3-2 win. And um, the grade-A shots in this game, game 65 of the season, were 16 grade-A shots for the Edmonton, 17 for Buffalo. Buffalo, <coughs> excuse me, had six, six five-alarm chances, and Edmonton had just three. So the Edmonton Oilers, um, if I'm honest, as I was watching this game, I just kept thinking one thought. If... <laughs> Stuart Skinner wasn't in that. The orders wouldn't be wouldn't be in this game. That was my one thought. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that yeah. was a, that was a close game, eh? Tonight, uh-huh. I'm just I, I'm just going to give a quick run of numbers because you don't usually see it quite like this. Uh, this is all situations. Corsi sixty to sixty two. Fen- Fenwick fifty three to fifty one. Oilers always first. Uh, no, Sabers always first. Sabers uh, shots 38-37, scoring chances 35-33, high danger 12-13, <clears throat> expected goals 3.68 to 3.66, and of course the score of three to two. Like you couldn't fit a piece of paper between those two lines of stats. It's like two or closer in every single major category that they track here. Just, just That's- a very even game. That's inter- That's real. And when our and our numbers are as close as close can be as well. Really, mm-hmm. um, one grade A shot separating them. Three five alarm shots. Uh, Bruce, this mm. is our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast. What is your good thing, Amundo? Yeah, uh, some choices to have tonight, but I think uh, I got to go with Stuart Skinner uh, answering the bell, and then time some and a. Situation where he has a major opportunity in front of himself to really seize the reins as orders number one, uh, but the pressure that goes with that. And uh, I was very pleased to see the uh, composure uh, that he responded to that uh, with. He, I thought he played a very strong game under lots of pressure. There was uh, Buffalo really brings it. Uh, they're an offensive-minded team, and uh, they got some very skilled players and skaters on uh, on that team. And he made a number of, I thought, really fine saves in this game. And uh, uh, the goals were, I mean, the one was a one-timer off a cross-seam pass, and the other was a spinorama where the guy spun into the middle and then picked the corner. And I didn't really have any issue with those. And I, there was two or three others I thought were going to go into the net and didn't. And uh, uh, I just thought he was uh, rock solid. I loved his puck handling in this game as well. I thought very, very calm and cool coming out to handle and move the puck without any causing any problems whatsoever. So uh, Stu Skinner, when the heat was on, you uh, responded and uh, uh, came up with a big game when the orders really needed not just a big game, but a big goalie game. 
because they're, they, they've got to be feeling frustrated with putting five on the board over and over again and coming out with the L. Well, tonight they only put up three and they came out with the W. So like, big credit to Stu for that uh, turning of the tide. He just, um, he's just been steady all year long in net, Bruce. He's mm -hmm. been getting the job done. And he did so tonight. He just, again, the, 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 and it's a terrible feeling to have, right? Mm -hmm. But even in the first period, when, when uh, the orders, um, um, I think they were up six to two for a grade A shots at one point. Even then, I was thinking, like, if Campbell was in net here, it just, the game changes because <sighs> through bad luck or bad goaltending or both, um, they just are getting by him. It's not a good feeling. And uh, I think we're going to, mm -hmm. As you wrote today in your post, we're going to see a lot of Stuart Skinner. Anyway, not to pick on Jack Campbell. I mean, God, everyone's dragging his name He's through the He's been taking a pounding these last <laughs> yeah. few days. I tried to just stick to the facts in my post, but, you know, it's uh, hard not to give him a pounding just by looking at the facts because they're pretty grim. Yeah. Um, to give the Oilers credit, as far mm -hmm. as I can see, they didn't allow um, – one five alarm shot in the third period. Now, some might consider the goal that was scored Cousins to be a five alarm shot, but it was a little from the outside. So I don't think that was a 33% chance, although that's a good sh good shooter and it's a difficult shot because he's spinning. But in the last two periods, the, the they only allowed, um, let me see, just, uh, just the one uh, um, five alarm shot the orders did in the last two periods. So it, it, there was a lot of great A shots against and a lot of difficult moments for the goalie, but there wasn't the, the worst kind of moment very often for either goalie in this game. He just um, needed to be solid and he had so many shots, you know, 949 save yeah. percentage in this game. Yeah. So nice. and, and just uh, expected goals just to go to the third period. It was 1.66 for Buffalo in the first, 1.4 in the second, and just 0 0.62 in the third. That tells you that the Oilers just weren't weren't giving up a whole lot of anything. There was quite a bit of zone time, but the play was mostly to the outside, and the Oilers were joining the battles and not giving up too many clean looks. What was the Oilers' expected goals in the second period, Bruce? The orders were uh, 0 1.81 in the first, 0 0.65 in the second, and 1.2 in the third. So they recovered in the third. They deserved to win the third period. And in fact, they only tied it, but they held their one goal lead. Yeah, Connor McDavid, eh? He'll do that for you. Um, he he will. He's my He's... other thing, but I guess we're only doing one tonight. So. Well, <laughs> my, good, my good thing was one of the best things of the century in terms of fourth line shifts for the Oilers. This was probably, this may have been the best fourth line shift by the Edmonton Oilers this century. And we already heard the Oilers weren't expected to score many goals at second period. It's because they didn't get many shots. And this was their first grade A shot was their first goal. So the fourth line is out there and they get the puck in the neutral zone at 12, 16 left in the period. And uh, 61 seconds later, they score. And what follows then is one of the most, one of the best shifts of the year for the Edmonton Oilers. There's probably been three or four shifts like this all year long, and we tend to, we always remark on them because they're so amazing. This one being the most amazing of all, because I can't remember a time when it's been the fourth line guys who have had a shift like this. It's almost always McDavid and Dreisaitl or Yamamoto or Nugent Hawkins or Hyman. You know, it's it's those, it's the big guys who, who get these mm -hmm. shifts. This time it was the little guys, and did they ever play well? By my campers, they had 21 touches of the puck wow. in that uh, 216 in the Ozone, including, um, I think there's about three 
key battles won uh, during this whole sequence. One by Shore, uh, one by Cece, where he stops the puck going out with his skate. But about um, about 15 seconds into this, he wins a really hard-fought board battle, Cody Cece does, mm-hmm. right around the boards. And he, oh. it looks like he might lose it, and he gets position, and he just, he just outworks the other guy, and he wins oh. that puck and puts it back to Nurse. And that was the key moment, I think, in that entire shift. Um, but there was many good plays, many very smart, solid offensive plays by Devin Shore and Derek Ryan yep. um, during this sequence. They were they both kept their heads and gathered in the puck and made a really good play, including the scoring play where Devin Shore gets the puck, takes it deep, passes it out, takes a couple taps to pass it out to Ryan, and Ryan just slams it home through a bunch of bodies. I, I must admit, Bruce, about 30 to 40 seconds into the shift, I'm thinking, okay, guys, shift off now and let the let the good players come out and score a goal. Mm-hmm. And um, that thought did cross my mind. Not necessary. And it wasn't necessary for that to happen. But I did think that. And they just they stayed out there, those guys. And um, they were playing with a ton of confidence. They were, like Devin Shore looks like he's playing with a ton of confidence. I mean, he's got no shortage of detractors in Edmonton and many people um, wouldn't, you know, are surprised he's with the Oilers right now, not in the minors, but he's putting together the, you know, of his best. Take him out of the lineup right now, the way he's playing. Exactly. Of his last, of his best, let's say 20 performances as an Edmonton Oiler, about, you know, five of them. And it's been in the last five games. He's played pretty well. And tonight, um, you know, he made the key pass in this back to Ryan and Ryan put it in. But there, Shore touched the puck in that sequence one, two, three, four, five, six times on Devin Shore's oh. stick. So he was probably, in terms of um, having the puck on his stick, he was, the, he was the, you know, the main player of the, he was the driver of that incredible shift. 61 seconds of glory for the fourth line. Congratulations to them. Well, since he got called up on Feb 19th as a emergency recall, after shuttling up and down between Edmonton and Bakersfield for a while, he's now played eight games uh, with one goal, three assists, four points, and one, two, one, two, three, plus four in okay. eight games. That's uh, that's playing about 10 minutes a game, maybe 80 minutes altogether, and uh, uh, four points plus four in that time, and like, to, to my eye, like it's the best I've ever seen him in all this time that he's been here, which is, what, three years now. And I don't, don't know that I've ever seen him put together a run of games where he was effective. You know, I, a lot of nights you just kind of hope and he, he kind of saws off and doesn't do uh, do anything to hurt, and uh, you know, and you don't really expect a huge amount of offense. But uh, I just think he's been playing his butt off. I mean, this is his, potentially his last chance at the NHL and, and simultaneously his last chance to impress future employers who might say, oh, I remember that Shore against us last year. He was a pain in our ass. Maybe we should sign that guy if, in fact, he goes to market, which I suspect he might, but not for sure. And the other guy, your man Cody Cece in that sequence, he was fantastic. He won about he was, yeah. like three or four or five outs. Oddly, the guy who was least involved in the, of the five from on the ice was the most dynamic player of the five in Darnell Nurse, who did wind up getting an assist on the play when he kind of whiffed on a pass. But went, yeah, through, yeah. went through to Ryan and he kind of, uh, he and uh, I think Shore exchanged it a couple times before the uh, killer pass and shot. But uh, I mean, Nurse did his job, but he wasn't like the focal 
point was on the right point where they kept trying to come out on CC's side and they just couldn't do it. And it was uh, just a phenomenal sequence and a uh, uh, good choice by you for, uh, I knew you would pick that. I knew you'd pick that virtuous cycle. Talk about it. Yeah, talk about a virtuous cycle. That That's the epitome of uh, of that, that uh, category. The platonic ideal of the virtuous cycle, Bruce. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I used that concept correctly there. I don't know. Maybe not. You go um, first with bad thing tonight. I'm still okay, I'll, one. Well, I, the listen, Leon Dreisaitl's line was hard matched by the Buffalo Sabres coach, I think, mm-hmm. um, against the Tage Thompson line. Mm-hmm. Skinner's on that line. Who's the third member's cousins on that line, too? Um, uh, no, it was uh, Jack Quinn. He's filling anyone. in there because Alex Tuck is hurt, and that's maybe oh. a good thing for the Oilers that he yeah. missed this game. He's a good player, Alex Tuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the that's a hard line to go up against. And it was one of those nights where Leon's defensive game was not on. And, you know, we've been singing his praises. I've been singing his praises in recent games. He's had three games in a row where he's just flying out there. Tonight was not such a night. He was not flying out there, uh, at least on defense. And um, by my preliminary account, and this may change because Brewers may disagree with some of the assignments. We might have a little debate. But my preliminary assessment is twenty. he made six uh, major Ooh. mistakes on grade A shots against Leon did. Um, let me just check Cutter, Cutter Yamamoto. He just made the one and Nugent Hopkins made three. So it was not a good night defensively. I didn't think for Leon. He was behind, he was just not fundamentally sound. Sometimes that's the case with Leon. He likes to read the play. And I'll just highlight the one the goal against that he was out for. And um, this wasn't nearly just on him. This was a, a this was a, a case of a number of Edmonton Oilers losing battles, starting in the offensive end. Ekholm gets the puck back off the faceoff. He puts it into Yamamoto, and it's either Ekholm's pass isn't very good. Maybe he should have just got a deep, or Yamamoto just gets out battled for the puck. Sometimes hard to tell from the, the video, but Yamamoto loses that battle for the puck. Ekholm then loses a couple battles up the boards as it's coming up. Uh, the boards into the Oilers' end. There's twice when he engages with the puck. Twice he loses the battle. Um, it, it crosses the blue line, and Evan Bouchard then goes for the hit, takes out a player, but he lets it a pass into the middle of the ice. In the meantime, Leon, Leon Dreisaitl is swooping back, and instead of stopping on the puck, stopping on the battle, he kind of swoops by, and he then swoops back into the middle of the ice. By then, the puck's gone to Cousins, who has had time to control it, and Leon's unable to contain him with his check and Cousins puts it in the net. So Leon in on that play was just one of um, three or four. Um, I got, I tagged four different players uh, with making mistakes uh, on that one. He was just one of them, but he, he was, you know, he was the last guy. And if he had just been a little bit more stop on the play, um, read the play, get on your guy. Maybe Cousins doesn't have that second to control the puck and, and get that time to make the play. And and if the, if the checking is tighter, frankly, in the order zone, if, you, if you're closer to your man, um, then you'll make, you're more likely to make the play. That was, that's kind of defined his night where he's just a little bit off defensively. And that's all it takes in the NHL when you're against a line like the Tage Thompson line, like that guy's a, he is a phenomenal hockey player. I wish he would, I wish he was, I wish he was Canadian. Uh, Cause 
in a best on best series against the USA. That's the guy I'm afraid of, honestly. And um, he's a he's an amazing hockey player, and uh, he's developed. He's got that big man thing going on, you know, where you where you start developing really developing your game when you're 25, 26, and you just take off that. It happens. It happens to it happened to Nikushkin, happened to Tage Thompson. Maybe it'll happen to uh, a few other players that we know well who are they have that kind of big man thing going on where they're lacking a little coordination when they're when yeah. they're young. <clears throat> but That's what anyway. I was holding out for with Yessa. I thought he would exactly. uh, eventually get it together, and I still think he might, but obviously not Burton. Yeah, it's possible. That's that's the hope. So um, that's my bad thing. What is yours, Bruce? Yeah, I'm going to go with the first Buffalo goal scored on the power play. And uh, first of all, the bad penalty that Hyman took, like 180 feet from his own net, and he just kind of put an arm around the guy, one of those holding penalties that the ref's going to see it and he's going to call it. Yeah. Right, nothing subtle about it, and it accomplished nothing. Like it didn't even win a puck battle necessarily, and it put his team short. And this was just uh, uh, one minute and forty seconds after the orders had taken the one nothing lead, and the power play lasted for forty three seconds. And Buffalo must have had, I mean, they had six shots on the night, and they only had one other power play that wasn't very good. So they must have had four or five shots on this one power play, and it was. One Skinner stop after another, and I don't know how we scored him. Great, three great like shots, barrage. three great A's in a row, and then the goal. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and it was uh, it was just a, 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 um, a cluster of problems in the defensive zone, and they they just could never get it together to get a hold of the puck to ice it. Their second penalty kill was fine, but their first one was just a dog's breakfast, and it, I called the goal, you know, while Tage Thompson still had the puck. I'm going, here it comes. And sure enough, right across the slot and Skinner, Jeff Skinner, lashed it home just inside the post. Uh, I didn't see that one as being on Stu Skinner in any way. And he later had a, made a few stops on the aforementioned Jeff Skinner in the Battle of the Skinners. Because uh, Skinner had seven shots on net in this game. And uh, anyway, they... Uh, uh, that's a fun line to watch, you know. Thompson and Jeff uh, Skinner, both very unique players. There's nobody really like Tage Thompson with the with the wingspan and the skill and the, you know, the different ways to score. And Jeff Skinner has always fascinated me uh, because of his um, uh, history as a high-level figure skater. And you can actually see that in the game. Some of the spins and turns and, and the reverses when he's going forward and all of a sudden he's going backwards. And it must be hell on wheels for a defenseman to stop that guy at full speed because he could go anywhere uh, on a one-on-one. And it's just fun to watch. I, you know, I'm a, among many other sports, lifelong fan of figure skating. And you don't usually see that connection between figure skating and hockey. And yet here we are with a guy who's made a career of it, and his skating is certainly his forte and uh, very, very elusive guy and fun to watch. I have to give him credit. I mean, a few years ago, I had him on the list of worst contracts in the NHL, yep. which yeah, was he, unusual. He fought that off, didn't he? He sure did, and so good for him. Like, he's he's powered back. I mean, they got him with the right line mates, and they're making the most of his abilities, too, so yep. that's part of it. But, so. uh, I'm sure he's fighting for it. Bruce, what is your number? Yeah, lots of good numbers in this game, but I'm going to go with this one, 10 and 0. 
which is the record of one Nick Bugstad on the face-off dot tonight. The new Oilers' right shot face-off man took 10 draws, won all 10. And one of the 10 in the offensive zone led to his own dangerous shot on goal just a few seconds later, which was his only shot. But he also had uh, three hits and three team-high three takeaways in this game, uh, Bugstad, just with a long stick that just kind of chipped the puck away from a couple guys, a couple really good steals of the puck to to get it out of the defensive zone. In one case where he just just picked the guy's pocket about two feet inside the line and got it out when they needed a clear. And Anyway, he impressed me in a lot of ways this game, uh, Nick Bugstad, and uh, I, I didn't realize he was going for the El Perfecto on the uh, face-off dot. You don't often see that with 10 or more draws, a guy winning them all. Uh, and when he came over, we were looking at him and saying, well, 48 49%, that's good. He'll be able to saw off on his strong side, which is, of course, the weak side for all of Edmonton's main centers. Uh, but 10 out of 10, I mean, watch this space. I mean, he's playing center already. I thought I thought he'd wind up on the wing, and maybe he will still, but uh, not so far. Mind, and here's the funny thing: this is a number of a different sort. Natural stat trick of the 12 Edmonton forwards who dressed in this game, 12 forwards for a change. Nine of them are listed as centers, and only three: Zach Hyman, Warren Fogle, and Kyler Yamamoto are listed as full-time wingers, and all the other guys have a history at center. That's Nine great, guys. That's by design. There's tons of versatility built into yeah. that and the Oilers use that and, and uh, coaching staff uses that and, and uh, moves guys around. Yeah, that's a great advantage. If you're able to play center, I mean, that's the hardest forward position mm-hmm. by quite a bit. And if you can play that, well, you should be able to play the wing. Mm-hmm. Bruce, uh, my number is um, 17 wins and 17 losses. That's Stuart Skinner's record. So he had to win that game, actually, to get the real 500. And this, despite the fact he's got a 913 save percentage, and Jack Campbell has an 882 save percentage, Jack Campbell's record is still 17 and um, 13 um, for uh, Unreal. wins and all losses combined. But Skinner had to win tonight to get to 500. So it's been a weird season. Um, it's starting to level out, though. Cause, starting uh, to level out. It's Campbell different. was 17 and 8 at one point, and then he's lost his, they've lost his last five starts. Mind you, yeah, it's a saw-off in the sense that each guy started a game that the other guy got charged with the loss that came on in relief. So I just tend to look at who started the game, and I assign that game to him. And so either way, though, Skinner's record would be the same because he, he took one loss for Campbell, but Campbell took one for him. So there you go. Yeah, so that's a little bit of a um, odd stat. It doesn't really rec- it doesn't really correspond to their play. But um, if uh, yeah, Stuart Skinner has been he's just had a really good year. Um, if if someone said at the start of the year, well, if Stuart Skinner could have a nine thirteen save percentage. Um, at this point of the season, what would you think? I'd think, well, that's really, really good. That's exactly what they need from Stuart Skinner. And I would have thought that Campbell might have had about the same, but that's not to be. I mean, he's like uh, 31 um, percentage points lower than him. 
which is a which is a you know like the like the Pacific Ocean when it comes to NHL goalies and safe percentages. But um, he he is he has battled back. He's at uh, 500, and uh, let's see where he can go from here. It's, this is a good Oilers team, Bruce. Um, they're in this really tough stretch of games, and now uh, I don't know how many how many games it lasts, but they're 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 uh, three wins and two losses in this really tough stretch. So um, that's I was hoping they would get uh, at least a point a game, and they're above that. And uh, much of that has to do with Stuart Skinner, especially tonight. Mm-hmm. Yep, Skinner's at 9-12 now, and he's behind only Logan Thompson, uh, who was 9-14, and Pyotr Kochetkov, the guy who scored the goal in the AHL the other night of Carolina, uh, who's played about half as much. He's 9-13. And then uh, Skinner is nine twelve. So the three main rookies are just really in a tight bunch for uh, uh, for save percentage. I'm looking at Hockey DB, and they update quicker, and they have mm-hmm. them at nine thirteen. Yeah, well, that's probably so. It was nine forty nine tonight. So yeah, the NHL stats can be a little slow. How many games did I have him playing? He's thirty seven. Thirty six. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. so yeah, nine so, thirteen yeah. is the uh, updated number. Right in there, yeah. Alrighty, well, I gotta get rolling, Bruce. So mm. um, we're gonna, we'll have to. Sorry, unfortunately, cut it a little shorter than usual tonight. When we usually, usually when there's a win, we uh, go on and on and on. But uh, next game, Boston on Thursday, correct? Connor McDavid, offside challenge, boo. Yeah, offside <laughs> challenge. Well, he was offside. That's, no. but it was so much after. I don't know how many seconds it was after he went offside that that play happened. Anyway, that's life, and he had that. It had no impact whatsoever on the goal. That's just after uh, Ryan scored after that that long, long cycle. I, I said, oh, I hope we don't find out that they're doing an offside challenge on the zone entry because they're going to have to roll the calendar back to 1996. <laughs> 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 they had the puck in the zone for so long. There should be a time limit on that. Anyway. Thanks for talking, Bruce. Yep. Thanks for listening, everybody. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.